Hey, uh, it is week two of doing church at home, so I just want to welcome you guys. Uh, we are super, super excited, and we are encouraged by just everything that we've been seeing from all of you throughout the last week. And we're going to do our best to continue just to give you guys great, great content to get a hold of during the week. You're going to want to uh, pay attention to a lot of those things that we have rolling out. Today, we're going to be speaking about uh, a key question that I feel like I keep getting asked by people, uh, and, and it's an important question, and I think it, it's relevant, uh, but I think we struggle with a few things surrounding this question. I struggle sometimes even in answering it. So uh, this is the question. How should we respond to the unknown? How should we be responding to the unknown? If you're like me right now, I, I know that about every 24 hours, things change. It seems like two, three times during that 24-hour period. And uh, as we are responding to the unknown, last week we talked about dealing with fear, anxiety, and uncertainty. And I'm just going to say broadly that's just the unknown. Uh, there's a lot that we don't know. So as people ask me these questions, my response is this, that I think we should respond with purpose. I think we should respond with purpose. Now, I want to preface this by saying, if you are watching this morning and you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, and I distinguish the two, they, they, I don't think they should be distinguished, but I think a believer should be a follower. But I know that where we live right now in 2020, we have people that believe in Jesus, but they don't follow Jesus. Um, they believe in the person of Jesus, but they don't follow his commands. So if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, I believe that more than ever, you need to respond with purpose. I believe more than ever uh, you're dealing with the unknown. Now, if you're watching this morning, a friend or a family member or a loved one said, hey, you should tune in, you should listen uh, to, to what Pastor Pat's saying, you should listen to the Movement Church or wh whatever the reason, however they got you to watch, and you're not a believer and a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that this uh, message today is 100% for you as well. Because what levels the playing field is in all of our humanity— we are all, every single one of us, we are all susceptible with dealing with the unknown, dealing with things that we don't have control of, we don't have control of the outcome, and we're dealing with unknowns. So if we're going to respond with purpose, let me define what purpose is very quickly. Purpose is a noun that means intention, meaning, or aim. Intention, meaning, or aim. So what this is, I get this picture in my head of a target, and I don't know why I think of like archery, and I think of a target, and it has these concentric circles, and it has a bullseye in the center, and, uh, and, and I, I feel like what a target does is it gives you your purpose to what you're shooting at. It gives purpose to what you're doing. Why? Because it gives you a focal point that you focus on, that you aim at, that you're meaning to hit. You're intentional at where you're putting that bow and that arrow when you're aiming it toward, and you're able to focus in on it. That target gives you the ability to focus in. And so our purpose is our focus. Responding with purpose, uh, it really is being meaningful with intentional focus. So responding with purpose this morning as we talk, simply put, is responding with meaningful and intentional focus. Now, I'm going to walk through. You're going to want to turn to the book of 2 Chronicles this morning. Uh, you can either turn there. You can utilize your Bible app on your phone or your iPad, a smart device. Uh, you can also go to our Movement Church app. I have my sermon notes in there, and so you can just read along with us if you'd like. I have some notes in there that if you find helpful, you can use. If you're using a good old-fashioned page-turning Bible, 
I'm going to give you a second to get there. Second Chronicles 20. Now, this is a story about a guy named Jehoshaphat. And I love Jehoshaphat, and for some reasons that we're going to read later on in the next coming weeks, we're going to be we're going to be talking about Jehoshaphat uh, for the next handful of weeks as we talk about some key responses. So this week is week number one as I talk about how we should respond to the unknown. This week is I think we should respond with purpose. Next week we're going to talk about the next way that I think we should respond. And I love King Jehoshaphat, and I love there's a portion of scripture uh, that he he ends up. Um, sending out the worshipers, the the people that play music before uh, the army into battle. And we're going to get there in a couple weeks. You're not going to want to miss it. That's that's a teaser. I'll just leave that right there. Read read ahead if you want. But I'm going to read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. It says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Mayanites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar or in Gedi. And it says in verse 3, Alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. Verse 4, The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. I'm going to, okay, in the New King James Version, in verse 3, I'm going to reread this. It says, alarmed in the NIV, which is what I just read, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And now this is what the, the, the New King James says in verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared, he was alarmed, he feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord. So it's this picture of Jehoshaphat, almost like, self-imposing this like bow and arrow mentality with his life where he set himself up as a bow and arrow to aim himself. It says that he set himself to seek the Lord. He aimed himself in a position to be able to focus in and aim and be intentional at seeking the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And of course, verse 4, back to the NIV, it says, The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. They, they responded and they did the same thing. They aimed themselves with purpose to focus on seeking God. Now, I want to make a few distinctions with fear this morning because I think, by and large, what I don't want to do is I don't want to make this overarching, sweeping, generalized statement and say to everybody who's listening and everybody across the globe and everybody in our country and everybody in our state and everybody in our cities, everybody in our neighborhoods, that you're full of fear and you're walking around shuddering in your boots and you're afraid. And quite honestly, I don't think Jehoshaphat, I don't think he was in that same position. I don't think Jehoshaphat was, was sitting there and he was, he was afraid and he was burying himself. In fact, this passage and what we're reading is going to prove quite other, otherwise, but what he was dealing with is he was dealing with the unknown. So fear is fueled by the unknown. So if we don't deal with the unknown accordingly or what I think is properly or in a healthy fashion, a helpful, hopeful fashion, what's going to happen is fear is going to invade. Fear is going to make itself, not just to our door, but it's going to make it into our home. It's going to make it into our heart. It's going to make it into our kid's heart. So we need to deal with the unknown. So fear is fueled by the unknown. And if we're all honest, we're living in the tension right now of the unknown. We're living in the tension of not knowing 
when things are going to change, how those are going to change. We're looking for the best we can for, for marks of what could be. We're looking to other countries. We're looking to people around us. We're looking to other businesses. We're looking to our neighbors. We're looking everywhere, and we still can't feel like we're getting to a place of just knowing and finding solid ground to stand on. So I love Jehoshaphat because what he does is he purposefully aims his and his people's focus towards seeking the Lord first in the midst of fear. So the first thing that I do in the morning, here's a question for me. Do I aim my focus purposefully? Do I aim my focus purposefully on seeking the Lord first in the midst of the unknown? Or do I look to fill in the blank? Do I look to a news outlet? Do I look to a person? Do I look to my newspaper? Do I look, what am I looking to first? The problem isn't that we're looking and we're, we're, we're receiving appropriate information. It's not that we're being informed. But the problem is, is that we're informing ourselves first. Whatever you're informed with first will actually create the most formation in you. Whatever you're informed with first has its first shot and will create the most formation in you. So are we being informed first? Jehoshaphat is saying, I'm purposefully going to aim myself and the people that I lead towards seeking the Lord first in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of fear, in the midst of being alarmed and not knowing that's where our focus is going to be. And I love this because what it proves to me is there's something built into us that God, we're created in his image. He gives us the emotions we have. He, he, gave us, he gave us the chemical response in our bodies to be able to, de- to deal with an alarming situation. So quite literally, if an alarm went off right now in a building you were in, there's an alarm internally that goes off in you. And God creates this response in you because what he wants to happen is there's a chemical response that heightens your senses and focuses you and aims you at your life being preserved to the best of its ability. Now, some of us, that's called fight or flight. Some of us are going to fight. So, like, and we're just, we're, we're kind of pre-wired this way. So when an alarm goes off, some of us run toward the fire some of us run away from the fire. And there's not a right or wrong. It's just knowing that we're wired differently. But the truth is, is that while that's happening, that response is built into us to heighten our senses so that we can be hyper-focused. And I say that because I think one of the things that happens is as Christians, we feel like we're failing in our faith if we're dealing at all with any fear. We feel like we're failing and we're falling on our face when it comes to our faith if we're dealing with any fear whatsoever. And the truth is that Jehoshaphat wasn't lesser than and he wasn't a bad leader and he wasn't a terrible guy because he was dealing with, because he was in the midst of fear. What makes him great, in my opinion, was that in the midst of the unknown, he still chose to take aim and focus himself and utilize the unknown to become hyper-focused on the first thing in his heart that he believes he should be focused on, and that's seeking after God. In Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. What things will be added? Just before this, Jesus is talking to some people, and they're saying, but God, what about this, and what about that? And they're bringing up all these unknowns. A lot like the conversations that we're having when we're talking to each other, that when we're, when we're on the phone or we're spending time talking to our spouses or our loved ones, our friends, our family, we're, we're talking about these unknowns. Well, what about this, and what about that? And, 
Jesus' response to all that is, is, hey, seek first my kingdom. Seek me first. Seek my father first. Seek me first. And his righteousness and God's righteousness. Why righteousness? Right thinking. It's not that we're dealing with fear, but we can't let fear become the mechanism that drives our focus. So we need mental clarity. We need clarity in our hearts. We need clarity in our minds to be able to walk through the unknown and for us to be able to walk through in the midst of, to walk out of the midst of and be able to walk into clarity. And he goes on, he says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Can I tell you, family, that when, when uh, you know, we we're talking as a team and as a staff and, and we just came, we, we, th- this is what we said as a ground rule. Tons of grace in a situation like this. We typically don't plan things right now. We have a longer on-ramp to plan things. But we're having to make rapid changes extremely quickly in order to maneuver based on what we're having to, to do that is being represented to us by either government officials or the city. And you're in the same boat. So we're all now in this place. We quarantine at home. Well, you know, two days before that, that wouldn't have been your response. But there's no way in the world that we can survive if we're worried about what tomorrow might bring when we have enough to deal with today. And that's what Jesus says. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You guys, I have enough going on today. So here's our mantra right now. We're going to live moment by moment and we're going to extend tons of grace because the decision that we make today might look totally different tomorrow. And it's okay. But one thing that does not change in this passage, one thing that does not change that Jehoshaphat shows us is that he will seek first God. The other things are negotiable. Let me say that again. The other things in your life, the other things in my life become negotiable. We can put them on the table. In fact, we can, we can clear the table and we can come up with a whole new set of, 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 of circumstances that we're going to decide to walk through. But what's not negotiable, what's not on the table, what never is on the table, Jehoshaphat says, is that I'm going to seek first. That Jesus says, I'm going to seek first God's kingdom. We become more purposed. This is, this is why. Because we become more purposed rather than becoming more paralyzed when we are focused on the Lord first. We become more purposed rather than becoming more paralyzed when we focus on the Lord first. Verse 5. Let's let's keep going. 2 Chronicles verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God did not drive out, or did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it its sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, 
whether with sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Now, I want to point something out very quickly about this. Jehoshaphat brings up some questions, but, I, but, but there's something that he's beginning to do. He's beginning to declare. So when he asks the question, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? He's not questioning whether or not God's position and he's posturing himself from heaven. In fact, what he's doing is he's reminding himself, where's Jehoshaphat speaking from? He's speaking before the assembly of the entire nation of Israel. He's speaking to an entire nation. And what he's doing is by asking a rhetorical question, He's helping them remember where God is seated and from where, from where he reigns. This is important because he's not doubting, he's declaring. And because of that declaration, because of his firm understanding of where God is, that God never changes, that he's always the same yesterday, today, and forever, he makes this statement. If calamity, if everything, look, if everything falls apart, this is what he's saying. If everything falls apart, whether we're sword of judgment, whether these, whether these tribes attack us, these men attack us or not, it could be plague or famine. He responds to God's posture with telling God what his posture will be. God, if you're seated firmly on the throne, then I will stand in your presence. It is not time for me to lay down. It's not time for me to become timid. It's not time for me to go into a slumber. And sleep. It is time to wake up. It's time to stand up. It's time to rise up and be face to face in the presence of a living God. You should just punch the person next to you at home and tell, tell them that Pastor Pat is preaching. Home church high five. And I love that what he's doing is he's bringing, and, 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 and <laughs> listen, some of us are feeling like God is distant from us. Some of us are feeling like God is distant from us in the middle of what's going on. When, when you're in the middle of the unknown, we need to remember that God is firmly planted. And it's not the time for us to distance ourselves. Okay, social distancing not spiritual distancing. Okay? We Jehoshaphat what he's saying to us is that we may be we may be socially distant, but I am as a leader calling us to be spiritually closer. He's saying I'm going to stand in the presence even if any when all this happens, I'm going to make the choice to stand in your presence, God. I am going to get in closer proximity. And as a leader, I am going to bring the people that you have put in front of me to lead to serve and I'm going to bring them to the place they need to first stand. I'm going to bring them into closer proximity. When we begin losing focus, what happens? If you begin losing focus of something, if you're reading a book, I'm getting to this age, if you begin reading a book and you begin to lose focus, what do you do with the book? You bring it closer. Family, if you're losing focus right now, if you feel like your life is losing purpose, if you feel like you're walking in the unknown and, and your focus is beginning to fade and fear is beginning to invade, 
If your focus is beginning to fade and fear is beginning to invade, this is what I'm telling you. Bring the target closer. You need to be in closer proximity with Jesus. I need to be in closer proximity with Jesus. In verse 10, but now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. He's telling God this. Hey, listen, God, the very guys who are coming to attack us now, and we have no idea what's going to happen, you told us to not attack them. You told us to not invade them. So they turned away from them and did not destroy. That, that our, our, our predecessors did not destroy them. They moved away from them. They were obedient to you. And see how they're repaying us? By coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Let us not forget the promise and the inheritance that Jesus has given us. But also, let's be clear about this. Jehoshaphat chooses to name the sources of his fear. Jehoshaphat doesn't say, hey, God, remember, remember all those guys over there that I don't, wanna, I don't even want to speak their name. I don't want to give attention to them. And I hear some really great things sometimes. It's like, I don't speak their name because I don't want to give power to them. And I think, no, the truth is sometimes you don't... That, that, <laughs> It's called being avoidant. I don't want to acknowledge that it's there. But the problem is that if I can't name it, I can't change it. And so what I'm saying is right now, even though we're dealing with fear, even though we're dealing with the unknown, even though we're dealing with uncertainty, the best thing that we can do is that we can grab a hold of it, we can grip it, and we can name it. We can call it what it is. We can, we, we can give it a name so that once we name it, we can tell it where it needs to go. I love 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we demolish arguments. Let, let, let me just say that. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You know before that thing, but, but, but before pretension, before it becomes a real tension, it's the pre to the tension. Before those, those tribes that, that Jehoshaphat names, before they become a real problem, it's the pre-problem. It's the pretension. You think you're in tension now, but you're really not in tension yet. Fear, fear actually hasn't hit your heart yet. Fear is there. It's at the door. So before it even gets to where it's real tension, it's pretension. We need to grab a hold of it. This is what it says. We need to grab a hold of it. We need to take it captive. That means to grab a hold, to put in prison every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's how this looks. Dr. Caroline Leaf, I was watching her on Instagram this week, and she had this great post. And uh, it, it, was one of the, it was one of the social media accounts from Wednesday Night Live that I recommended that you follow. She's a great Christian woman. She deals with brain science. She's, she's phenomenal. And she talks about one of the things that we can do, an exercise that we can do right now to help us ward off some of these feelings and emotions that become overwhelming is to actually do a physical exercise where you grab a hold of it and you grip it and you speak to it and you call it what it is. You name it, just like Jehoshaphat. You name it. And you remind it 
that it has to fall underneath. It's a servant to, and it will be demolished by the inheritance. Jehoshaphat says, you gave us this land as an inheritance. That when you hold that thing captive and you speak to it and you make it obedient to Christ, you're making that fear or the unknown obedient to the promise that Jesus Christ has given you. And she says, you need to imprison it. Some of you need to choke it. Like, go ahead and you could squeeze it. Like, you don't have to be gentle with it. You cannot, in, in your humanity, you and I cannot for one second believe that we're not going to deal with the tensions. But we have to be intentional. The best way to deal with the tension is to be intentional. And we need to be intentional about calling it what it is and bringing it underneath the power of the promise that we've been given in Jesus. In verse 12, Jehoshaphat says, Our God, will you not judge them? Jehoshaphat, in this, he's asking another rhetorical question in my opinion and what he's doing is he's setting the tone and the posture of his heart and this is what I mean Jehoshaphat is declaring God's control over the situation he's not declaring his doubt Jehoshaphat is declaring God is in control over the situation he is not saying God I am in complete doubt I'm not doubting you I'm not doubting that you're in heaven. I'm not doubting that you're not going to judge. What I'm saying is, is that I'm declaring that God, you're in control. That one of the best things that we can do in the midst of the unknown is we can say this. And it, I don't mean for this to sound cliche, but God is in control. And you know when people go, hey, you know, gosh, we're going through this. It's really crazy. And this is going on. And we, and we could walk around and we could blindly be saying God is in control. I think, I, I think for me to, let, let, me, let me define this. You know that you're blindly making the statement. I know that I'm blindly making statement that God is in control. When I say, God, you're in control, and then I sit back and I don't do anything about it. Here's what I mean. God is in control of our outcome, but we are in control of our outlook. God is in control of our outcome, his job. I am in control of my outlook, my job. Jehoshaphat is saying, God, you are in control of the outcome. And he's not blindly saying it and then walking away. In fact, he puts action behind it. And this declaration that he says, that God, you're in control of our outcome and I am in control of the outlook, leads him to say this, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. That for some of you, potentially, you feel powerless in this situation. I've heard people, you know, in conversations, we're discussing, what's it going to take for this to end? That's a question of powerlessness. I don't have the power to, I can't walk over and flip the power switch off. I can't, I can't just flip the light switch off. I can't kill the power I, in fact, I'm realizing that I am, not, I am not in control. I have no power. He's saying, I am not in control. God, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. But one thing that we can do, 
It's not hopelessness. He says, we do not know what to do. I love it when leaders are honest and vulnerable and they say, you guys, I don't know what to do. But it's not that he, it's not that Jehoshaphat said, I don't know what to do. So everyone just go home and prepare your last meal. We're going to get attacked by everybody and we're going to die. He had a plan. He had a purpose. His aim was, was, his focus was heightened and it was sharpened. And here was his plan. We don't know what to do, but here's the plan. Our eyes, God, are on you. He was focused. I personally believe that right now one of the things that the Lord is speaking to us about is is that it is time for us. Listen, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, it's time for us as believers and followers of Jesus to have a heightened awareness and acknowledgement that God is in control. And we need to stay focused more than ever. We have been purposed. We have been aimed to seek and to go after God first. And we need to remember who Jesus is in our life more than ever. We're going to take an opportunity right now. Sitting in your home, I'm going to give you a few seconds to, to take communion together. Now, we've never done this before, so this is going to be really fun. So, uh, I don't know what you guys are using for your bread and, and for your juice. So we, we had people commenting. It was really funny. We, I, I would love to know. You could be using pancakes with maple syrup. You could be using, which sounds really good right now. Um, you could be using crackers. You could be using coffee. You could use bacon. I don't know what you're using. Bacon's always good. Um. I would love to hear from you guys. Comment and let us know what you guys are using for communion. I had some people messaging me from our last service. It was really good. But today I thought it was important that we take communion together as a family. Why? Because what it does is, is it sharpens our focus on our target. And our target is Jesus. We're following Jesus. We're seeking first the kingdom. We're seeking first Jesus. We're going to talk about some, some, some more practical things in weeks to come. But right now, this is something that we have to practice. We have to be in the practice of seeking Jesus. So you guys have all your stuff together. I'm going to read John 6.33. It says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, this is Jesus speaking. There's some guys who are asking him some questions. And this is John giving a real account of a real person named Jesus. You know, the only thing in history that people are debating is whether or not, not whether or not Jesus actually lived, but whether or not he was who he said he was. The squabble is over where his body is. The squabble over is what happened to him. 
So this is a real account from John about a real guy named Jesus. And these guys are asking Jesus some questions. And he says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so they say something. They say, sir, they said, always give us this bread. And they're missing it. Jesus is standing right in front of them. And he says this. He makes this statement. And it's like they're blind. They miss the mark. They miss what Jesus is saying. And they don't grab a hold of and they don't focus in on the fact that he's talking about himself. And what I love about the story with Jehoshaphat is that the people of of Israel don't miss the mark. They don't miss what he's saying. He says, this is what we're going to do. And what they they do is they say, all the men, when he... He makes a statement, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And he says, all the men of Judah, verse 13, the last thing Josephat says, and all the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. They didn't miss the mark. They didn't miss what was being said. They didn't miss in the midst of fear, in the midst of potential doubt, in the midst of the unknown. They didn't miss Jesus. They didn't miss standing before him. Here these men are walking with Jesus, seeing him, seeing the miracles he's performing. And he makes this statement, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they miss it and they go, sir, we want some of that. And he's like, yeah, you don't get it. You're losing focus. So Jesus, I love Jesus. He says, I'm going to pull the target closer for you because you seem to be a little murky about what I'm saying. There's a little bit of a cloudedness and I want to bring clarity. So let me bring focus to you. And he, he responds and he says, then Jesus declared, guys, I am the bread of life. Family, can I tell you that there are so many things around us that we could be searching for, not just for information, it's not what I'm saying. We could be searching for things to give us life. None of it is going to give us life. Jesus Christ, the son of a living God, he's standing before men, he's saying, I am the bread of life. The bread that you hold right now, the pancake, the waffle, the piece of bacon, I don't know what you're holding. Whatever you're holding is a representation to help you remember, to remember, to put the memories of who God has been, is, and will always be. Whatever you're holding to help you remember, to represent to yourself, to represent, to represent to your spirit, to represent to your mind, to represent to your home, to represent to your children and to your spouse or to your neighbor or to your loved one, to represent, to help you remember and bring back to recollection that God is the God who he says he was, he is, and will always be. He says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. as you take that, that representation of who Jesus is, our focus, and you eat of it right now, I'm going to have you just close your eyes and eat whatever it is that you're using with this promise attached that whoever comes to me who draws close to me, who gets in close proximity to me, who seeks after me, who searches after me in the midst of the unknown, will never go hungry. 
Now, whatever you're using to represent the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross, I want you to take that. And as you partake of it, Jesus goes on and he says, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. As you drink of this right now, that you will never thirst. It's this idea of longing. That there's, there's something that you, you, you won't be thirsty, parched. You won't, your mouth won't be dry. You won't be parched for peace any longer. That peace is with you. It's part of you. It's in you. It's, it's feeding you. It's becoming nutrition to you. It's fueling every part of your being. And we declare this together. I, I'm going to declare this. You can declare it with me at home. I believe that today we need to focus more on Jesus than ever. And we need to make him our purpose. And I would say to you that we may not know what to do, Jesus. That you can say right now that we as a family may not know what to do. And I'm telling you as a leader, as a pastor, as a dad, as a husband, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do. But I can tell you one thing. My eyes. Today, my eyes are on you, Jesus. And our eyes become fixed on you, Jesus, that you would bring more clarity. Bring clarity to our purpose in the midst of the unknown. God, I pray against the paralyzation where we stop being the spiritually purposed people that are seeking after you, Jesus, and we become complacent and compliant to the ways that the enemy wants to work for his good in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, that right now is the time for us to stand, as Jehoshaphat said, in your presence. It's time for us to stand close to you. It's time for us to be obedient to you. It's time for us to declare who you are. It's time for us to rise up. It's time for us to not shrink back, to not be timid. It's time for us to focus more than ever. So God, I pray for I pray for an extra dose of focus in the homes and the hearts of every single person that hears this. Stay focused and faithful. For me, what that means is that the areas God that I feel the most uneasy about, the most unknown, God, I, I, I'm actually going to double down in those areas 
as I press into you, as I get closer, as I move towards you in those, in those areas, I'm going to double down in those areas because you're in them and I want to be close to you. We need to stay focused more than ever. If you're, if you're dealing with, struggling with anything, please reach out to us. Our hearts, um, although we love, love, love being able to bring this to you in your home, I have to tell you that our hearts are heavy. That my heart is heavy being distant from you. that I look forward to the day when we will get to stand shoulder to shoulder and face to face. We miss everybody dearly. And we're here to do whatever we can. And if you have anything that you need, please reach out. We're doing our best to be proactive and reach out. But if there's something that you're, you're dealing with, maybe it's job loss, a reduction in hours at work. You're dealing with sickness. You're de- I don't know what you're doing. De- you're dealing with fear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highly recommend to you that you reach out. Church family, here's a very practical way that you can stay focused for us. And this is an ask from my heart. As the increase in the need from, from the church has gone up, can I tell you something? Can you please keep pressing in financially? Can you keep please pressing in with your giving and your generosity? I am not going to try to paint a facade. We are getting hit financially hard. But we are determined more than ever to double down on the relational equity just like God did with his son Jesus despite what the circumstances look like. We're feeding more people than ever. We're delivering more resource than ever. There's people that need benevolence from us more than ever. We haven't begun to see, I I want us to understand this, we have not begun to see the lasting impacts of what we're dealing with. But right now is not the time for us to sit back. Press in. Be faithful. I'm reminding you and I'm thanking you. Thank you to everybody who has been faithful financially to our little church here in San Marcos. And I'm reminding you to continue to stay focused. Continue to ask God, what is it that I can do? How can I be closer to you? And we need your support. And let me tell you something. This is your church. This is your family. This is your home. And I want you to step in with the ownership that God has given to you. To be able to bless the people around you that need it desperately. So thank you for what you're doing. But stay focused. I look forward to seeing you guys Wednesday night at our Wednesday night live. It's going to be a great time. 
If you guys need anything, question, comments, please, please, please hit us up with those um, on our social media, email. We're going to be addressing some things on Wednesday. It's going to be fun. We look forward to seeing you. Um, have a good Sunday and um, stay focused. Amen.